Howdy friends, welcome back to Experience Design with Tony Dosat. I happen to be Tony Dosat. This is a podcast about how design impacts the way we experience life. And I would love to know what you think of the show. So subscribe, leave a review, find me on Instagram at xdpodcast, whatever it is. I love hearing from all of you. It means the world to me. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's conversation. My guest this week is an award-winning graphic designer and art director based in London. He currently serves as an associate lecturer at the London College of Communication and is the head of graphic design at Pollard Thomas Edwards. As of late, he has been globetrotting, giving talks on his Xena project at places like the International Conference on Typography, the International Conference on Tourism, as well as Big Design Conference here in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show, Nikos Georgopoulos. I'm so pleased to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. It's really cool, this whole internet thing. You know, you and I were both at Big Design Conference, and then here we are talking a little bit later. I guess you're in London now, right? Yeah, I am. I am. Okay, so before we dive into the Xena project, which Mm. is really exciting and and really something I want to talk about, I'd love to just get a brief history on you, your origin story, and how you got to be where you are today. I'm a graphic designer. I started back in Athens, um, graphic design in our direction, and then I moved to London to continue my studies. Um, But I guess... I think I always wanted to be a graphic designer, if that makes sense. Like when I was like a six-year-old kid, I would draw comic books and, um, you know, the drawings would be awful, I think, like really childlike. But the stories were kind of interesting, I suppose. So, you know, I do things like that since a really young age. And then, and then I guess I would um, get my parents' CDs, if you remember the CDs, oh, yeah. or, the, or the cassette tapes. And um, back then, like the cover was like a folded poster or something. And then I would just unfold it and fold it in a different way to kind of create a different meaning or filter the image in a different way. So I guess I was always kind of appropriating things and all that. Oh, yeah. When it became more apparent was that um, when I was like young, really young, I was in a, I created a fictional rock and roll band where I would uh, grunge the guitar and play you know write lyrics and all of that and obviously I didn't have anyone else to play so I would just assume that you know I would release records and I would just do the covers on my own like collage <laughs> and things like that I guess that was the trajectory really that led me to art school in Athens initially and then in London and then I kind of stayed up here and then I started building you know relationships and projects and collaborations and I kind of stayed. It's interesting you say that about the CD and uh, cassette covers and stuff. I did the same thing. Yeah? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I remember as a kid, just uh, if there was like somebody in class that I thought was cute or something in the third grade, I I would like draw them Simba from The Lion King. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, I wanted to be a musician or a rock star mainly like a frontman and I think I think just before I went to uni you know you had to decide like 
what kind of direction you'd go to so that you can select uh, lectures and all that in school. And um, I was like, I couldn't really decide, should I go to music school or should I go to art school? I remember my mom saying, well, do you know any rock stars who actually studied music? <laughs> so, so I think that was really the, um, the catalyst I went to art school. What do you but, yeah. think now? Are, are you still... Are you still playing guitar, singing, being a little rock star on the side? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I do. I definitely um, still write songs, um, play the guitar. Not so much now, because my missus doesn't want so much music around the house. Um, <laughs> but um, I definitely do. I definitely do. Um, but to be fair, the way I approach design is kind of like the middle, in the middle of being on stage, because I teach anyway so i think that's why i was initially drawn into teaching lecturing because it, it is a it has a performative element so yeah and also you know project um the Xenia project also uh you know you get to present it all around the world so it's kind of like you know squatting as a young girl i feel the same way because like i've mentioned ad nauseum you know i, I used to be an actor and Yes. Doing the talks, doing the podcast, presenting to clients and stuff. It, it is theater, you know. It, it is theater, it yeah. Is performance, yeah. absolutely. And you know, there's there's something there, you know, marrying the two passions that, uh, you know, one pays a little bit better than, than <laughs> acting. Well, acting potentially acting though could pay a lot. Yeah, if you're just like the luckiest point zero zero one percent. Yeah, Oy Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the Xena project. What on yeah. earth is it and why did you dive into this thing? Yeah, it is quite weird. The full name is the fictitious visual identity program of Xenia Hotels. And um, it's a sci-fi art direction project and it's part of my... Um, trilogy of projects called time travel branding so so this project is about going back in time to create the visual identity a cohesive yet fictitious visual identity for the once glorious now abandoned Xenia hotels in Greece so this was a big kind of uh, nationwide hotel chain um, that, uh, owned by the state which was created in the 50s. And it was amazing, like the modernist architecture. And it was um, created in the 50s to kind of boost the tourist infrastructure of the country after the world wars and the civil war. So yeah, it was like 59 hotels across the country that flourished throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s. And then the kind of, I don't know, I suppose due to mismanagement, financial mismanagement um, and all that, they became inextricably linked to a uh, fiscal reality that led to the Greek crisis. And then the Xenia hotels kind of went over to oblivion. So they don't exist anymore. And I guess, um, you know, as a designer, there are a lot of times where you kind of get tired or frustrated by design briefs and by client meetings and the restrictions sometimes you get. So my idea was kind of like to ignore all that completely and ignore the time as well, obviously, and travel back to the 50s to create the visual identity that was never created for these hotels. That is really interesting. So it's really an exercise in 
how can I blow something up without any constraints, <laughs> except for the yeah. fact that we've got a brand name and it was a hotel? Uh, yeah, it existed. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Does that then help influence how you work inside constraints? I think all of the side projects I'm doing kind of feeds into my you know everyday more commercial practice teaching as well theorizing and researching because this project was very much about history and politics in, in an international level you know i had to read about the second world war and what happened afterwards in the wider region of the balkan peninsula what happened between america and russia and greece and which side greece went which was the west side and it was a really interesting kind of case study to read about. So research is vital. Time and time again, as yeah. designers, we hear this. And yet, a lot of designers ignore it or don't do the work. Yeah, man. You, you see that all the time. I'm sure you see that as well. Uh, like, you show up in meetings and there are other designers who can't really give you a reasoning why this is like it is. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, that's blue because I like it. Or I draw this line because I felt like it. And I'm not really, I'm not really like, you know, the old school kind of teachers who are like, yeah, but what does it mean? I'm like, well, if you don't do research, if you don't kind of meditate around your material, where's the truth or where's the value in the narrative that you're trying to create? So for me, design, is very much about you know creating a narrative creating an atmosphere and to do that you have to be very sensitized to the material you have to kind of own it it's like acting yeah <laughs> That's you, have, you have to you have to research about the role that you're going to delve deeper otherwise you're just blindfold throwing darts seeing if one lands on the bullseye or close enough to it <laughs> Yeah, or not even being aware about this possibility. Yeah. <laughs> Recently, I've been seeing a lot on color theory, and there's right. two sides to this coin. One is some designers think that color theory is hogwash, doesn't mean anything, and others swear by it. And they say, you know, yellow means this, blue means this, red right, means right. this. Myself, not having a design education, aside from just experience and talking to folks like you, I don't have any of that color theory formal background of mm -hmm. what some might teach in university or college. What are your thoughts on color theory and both sides to that coin? I think that you know, research and academia is very good in kind of informing um, your thesis really towards uh, design, but, but I'm not really um, tricked with these things. You can choose any color you think works best. Uh, I'm not so precious about it, but there are some kind of rules that, um, for example, I don't know, red, Red means, you know, means attention, is inextricably linked to attention. Um, so there, there are people who use red. And sometimes red is a bit um, hostile as well because mm. people perceive attention, announcement, in a kind of, um, you know, aggressive way. So you have things like that. Think, but I haven't researched that, for example. It's like a feeling I get yeah. when I see something red. It's like, that's not very friendly. 
or, or for example, when if somebody has dyslexia um, in schools, teachers are like um, instructed by pedagogic um, associations not to use the red color for students who are dyslexic because that mm. I don't know that turns them off or something like that. So what happens if you're a designer and you're creating something and you're designing the type and you wanna um, you wanna invite people in and then you make him red and what? says for the dyslexic population that you don't consider right. things like that i think so i think color theory you know i'm not i'm not so precious about aside from those points you know the accessibility aspects of it mm. dyslexia aside from that it's all so subjective isn't it you yeah, know absolutely. red i get time and time again across countries across the world red is alert it's warning, it's pay attention, it's oh my goodness, yeah. it's yeah. it's all of yeah. these things. But everything Absolutely. else, you know, you could have the sky is the limit. Yeah, and exactly. I, and I I kind of think, and correct me if I'm wrong, do we take ourselves too seriously as designers? I I think so. I think so. And I'm trying to step back from that. Trying to step back from uh sort of supporting my um, role in the society or anything like that. Because I think, for me, research is important. The concept and the idea you have for a narrative, for a project, is the focal point that defines the areas that you're researching. For example, I was, um, I was listening to a designer called Brian Collins. He's mm. based in New York, and his agency, Collins, um, rebranded Spotify a couple of years ago. Mm. And they, as we all know, Spotify has these kind of fluorescent, very specific colors. And he answered to a question, somebody asked him, why this green, why this red? And he said that Spotify was da da da, and we wanted to make it look like music, like a music provider. And so we went back to the 60s posters, the psychedelia posters, with Jimi Hendrix and all mm. that, and the colors were, vibrant and so we effectively color picked those colors and brought it now and that's the new color scheme it's not like he dove into the psychology behind what does this neon green mean when you <laughs> relate sure it to music know. <laughs> <laughs> but so many I'm do sure so many do and listen yeah. if it works for you and the client's happy or the people that consume the product are happy and you've gone through the links of dissecting the psyche behind choosing a color, brilliant. I, yeah. I fully support you. But it's not, it doesn't have to be that way. I think you can yeah. have some fun with it. And that's kind of what I love about this Xena project is that it's fun. And like you yeah. said, there are, there's no boundaries to it besides the fact that it was the hotel back in the 50s in Greece. And you just let your mind go. Exactly. And, it looks like you played. Yeah. You know, how important is that play as a designer? It's, I think it's really important because exactly because, as you said, people expect us to be more serious than well we are or what we should be. And we as well adopt that kind of role. I think any kind of creative profession is about it. It doesn't fit to the 9 to 5, 30 kind of thing. And also, I don't know. Sometimes I feel that that you know, meeting with clients, being uh, properly kind of new business and all that, it kind of 
takes my energy and my natural inherited reverence away. Mm. <laughs> so I think, so I do think that, you know, fooling a bit around or introducing a bit of play within the actual day-to-day job is, is absolutely important. For me, it's essential. Like, yeah, that, that, that's me. I kind of, I kind of like when things are a bit wrong and a bit quirky and a bit, yeah. they don't make sense. <laughs> I'm assuming, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's the same with you as UX designers. Oh yeah. You know, I, here's the thing. When you're dealing with very high profile brands and products mm. and building experiences, every meeting you have is really expensive. Yeah, and the stakes are really high. They're investing a butt ton of money and they've got some high profile people up in there. And a lot of times I think it gets to our heads and I know it did for me, but I decided to say, you know what? In this room, we're all people. We yeah. all poop, we all sleep, we all have our ups and downs. We wake up and our hair's a mess. For those of us that have hair, you know, we got kids, dogs, cats, pet lizards, whatever it is. So let's make this meeting and these interactions human. You mm. know, your title might be CEO of blah, 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 company that makes me nervous and impresses me. But in this room right now, we are together and we are just people trying to get the best thing going for your customers yeah. and for your business. And so yeah. I throw in jokes, you know, I keep it very light and it seems so far <laughs> to work. And I think people appreciate keeping keeping it light because business can get so heavy, especially when there's yeah zeros after the first number. Yeah, definitely. About the Xena project, mm. about this idea of your time travel branding, mm -hmm. what does pulling from the past mean to you? R rather, what does the past mean to you? Is it important to you? Do you often reflect on the past? Does it inspire you daily? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think generally, I think I'm quite emotional and kind of sensitive about the past, whether that's kind of collective experience to past or personal experience of mine. And I don't know, I think sometimes it feels like you constantly draw upon the past draw things from that and you kind of inform the present and meditate toward the future i'm also rather sensitive <laughs> um maybe that's and nostalgic and all that you know that's that's human kind of I, thing just a quick little anecdote so i was giving my kids a bath yesterday uh they're toddlers right. they're three and two 11 months apart and <laughs> I was giving them a bath and they're playing around. And if you know toddlers, they can be just handfuls and make you want to slam your head in the wall. But then other times there are these moments that are, that just take you back because they represent an innocence mm. that can't be captured anywhere else. But in those moments, and I thought, okay, I need to take this in and I need to remember this picture. But then time goes on, and I'm on the app Time Hop, you know, and it shows you pictures in your role in your social media from years ago, and it says on oh, this yeah. day and this day. That's so, that's 
so weird. <laughs> yeah, and even last year, two years ago, I see the picture of babies. You know, now they're toddlers, and I go, mm. I don't remember this baby because now it's just these toddlers here. Mm. So I think art and design has that power of capturing those moments that are、yeah. so fleeting and so ephemeral. Yeah, and the fact that you're bringing it back with this, even just playful project, is super cool. Thank you, thank you very much. I guess, I guess that is the benefit of having the opportunity to do kind of personal project, isn't it? You like you're using your idiosyncrasy to completely formulate a brief and kind of go full on. So yeah, definitely. I am like that. I haven't got kids yet, but I can identify. I think <laughs> if you're if you're、but、a、I'm... sensitive person now, when you have kids, you'll just turn into mush. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. My parents are very artistic, but they're both lawyers, and they're very interested in literature and history and theatre. So they kind of. Distilled all these things to me since a young age. So, I'm, although I'm a designer, I have the traditional design background. I was always very interested and fascinated by history, and politics, literature, and all that. So, this project was, and somebody told me at the conference that, oh wow, this this lecture of yours was like half history lesson, half design、mm-hmm. showcase. It's, so, it was very much about going back and understand. What was going on at that time? But also because you mentioned about、um, the personal aspect, so I guess this is a kind of sci-fi graphic design project, but it isn't at the same time because it's about why do you do something like that? You do something like that to kind of suggest that by create by going back and doing something that was never supposed to be back then. Changing something, you change what followed conceptually.、Mm. So I suppose by going back, you change, you create an alternative future that never happened.、Mm. Because obviously we know what happened. We know what happened in Europe, what happened in Greece, and so on and so forth. But by going back then, you change things that, in an alternative reality, these things could have influenced other things and other things, so on and so forth. So everything ends up. Differently. That's interesting because you you kind of suggest a different reality, a different future, that it's potentially amazing, yet fictitious. Yeah. But that I think that was what interested me in the whole. Kind of... It's almost like what Quentin Tarantino did with Inglorious Bastards. Yes, he changed the yeah, course. Yeah, changed the course of history. That was a very good <laughs> remark. That's cool. <laughs> For my final question, that I ask every guest,、mm. what object or thing that is non-digital、mm-hmm. means the most to you, or has impacted your life the most, and why? That's probably the hardest question that was being <laughs> asked. <you know. laughs>、um, object or thing? When you say thing, do you mean a person as well? I've had some people say people. So you can listen. I'm not going to give you constraints besides non-digital. Right. Okay. I can't choose an object right now, but I would say 
um, my childhood. Ah, the past. Here we go. Let's do this. Because it has influenced me and led me to decisions that are absolutely about the future, but I wouldn't have considered doing them if that particular era hadn't taken place. Well, and your your parents obviously had a huge impact on you, like you said. Even though they were lawyers, very artistic. And parents, yeah, 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 yeah. probably the way I dress as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look very sharp. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you were on. And let's thank you, man. Again, sometime, brother. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. It was really cool. Thanks for having me. That will do it for this week, friends. Thank you again to my guest, and thank you again to all of you tuning in. I can't tell you how valuable you are to me. I would also like to give a really special shout out to all of the new patrons of the show. Including, of course, my new executive producer, Brian Sullivan. Now, if you're wondering how you might best support the show, head over to patreon.com slash xdpodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash xdpodcast. I also have a link in the show notes. And check out all the perks of becoming a patron of the show here. And listen, if Patreon doesn't float your boat, if it's not your thing, I get it. But a subscribe or a view or share, it's always just as meaningful as something like Patreon to me. It really is so impactful. So with that, I can't wait to have you back next week. But until then, friends, stay curious. Experience Design is part of XD Media, LLC. All opinions are my own and do not reflect those of my current or former employers.